Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I'm here with my uh, occasional co-host, uh, Dana Monroe. What's up, Dana? Hello. <laughs> and we have, uh, and actually, I'm not saying that this time. We always say we have a special guest. For me, uh, I don't, uh, not to be a leg humper, look up to many people. That this is a dude I've definitely looked up to, Tim Kennedy. Uh, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So you, you have a... A unique and distinguished background. Uh, I would say you're probably a bit of an overachiever uh, just from watching you online and reading. Um, you were uh, in the military, so you, you were on an ODA team, so Special Forces, Ranger, Airborne, and then that wasn't enough. So you fight at the same time in the UFC or Strike Force. Am I somewhat close <laughs> with all of that? That's, that's all right so far. Yeah, so uh, you just didn't have enough shit to do uh, being on an ODA team, so you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go fight too? What What was your thinking on that when one? I was like, <laughs> yeah, when I was like five, and I was duct taped and belted to a bench, so I would pay attention to my my school lesson, The and the teachers were like, oh, hey, we need to you know medicate this kid. My, 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 what my parents figured out was, if they gave me like two other things to do while I was doing school, I would do better at school than if they just made me do school. So, you know, they're like, give me a tennis ball and I could throw at the wall and I would like eat paint chips. And, um, and then voila, you know, they got a half over half troll. So it worked out. All right. Well, it makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I think some, uh, when you're when you pop out of your mom, uh, some people are genetically and uh, just naturally lazy as shit, and then other people are like you and just can't stop. Which uh, we probably need more people like you in the world nowadays than the ones not doing shit and asking for freebies. So, uh, I I appreciate following along with everything you've done, just knowing or having a decent idea the the hard work that that goes into all that. Um, how how old are you now? I'm 41. Is uh is age catching up with you yet? Are you are you experiencing any like son of a bitch? I shouldn't have done that back when I was twenty five. Are you still good to go? No. So like all the things that uh, man, I just blew my knee out last week. You know, I'm not sure which of these three these three things finally did it did in. I got I got hit by my son on a motorcycle, and then I got hit by a Humvee while doing military training. While I was wrestling, grappling, I went to throw a dude, and that dude didn't want to get thrown. So he stopped and ended up landing on my leg. And one of those three things blew out my knee. Um, and you know, I'd say, oh, man, that's age getting up to you. Man, but I blew out my other knee when I was 17 the first time. And then I, like, I ended up in the trees on an airborne operation. I blew out my knee. And then I was fighting you well with Romero, and I blew out my knee. You know, so I finally get to heaven and got my scuffle first minute. Uh, um, first thing we're going to fight over is that knee. It won't be the first thing. It'll be like the 50th thing. But after, after we figure out the other stuff, gotcha. we scoot boogaloo about this knee construction. Come on, God, you do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so other than getting hit by Humvees and by your kid on four-wheelers, uh, no major no major injuries other than that. Um, I know you said your other knee went out, but shoulders, elbows, everything's relatively good then? I went in the army at six foot. I now stand five foot nine and uh, three quarters. So I'm not sure where those two inch, those two and one quarter inches went, but they're somewhere out in the the tree line of North Carolina or in the in the dirt of Afghanistan. So I don't know. Yeah. How how many um 
And you know, whatever I touch on anything I, I'm not supposed to touch on, by all means, let me know. How many how many jumps did you end up with, uh, or was it enough you can't remember? Oh, I don't. I have no idea. Um, That's usually a high number. I then. have been in. <laughs> yeah, I've been in for 16 years this month, and um, you know, I got five more to go until I'm retired. And um, so, right, now, I don't know how many I have. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's generally, if you, if you don't know, that's a, a good, uh, uh, you know, idea that you have a lot. So, um, the, the one thing, uh, just, just with your, obviously your, your background and, uh, you know, kind of putting yourself through, uh, purposefully through, through a lot of, um, I guess some of the harder things in life that most people would be scared, you know, shitless of where, you know, you talked a little bit as you were a kid, right? Eating paint chips and going to school and duct tape to a chair. Like, were you always someone that no mountain was too high? Like you just always had to push uh, every limit you possibly could? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, yes. I mean, I did things that I look back at. And, and as a father now, my parents were insane to let us do this, <laughs> these things. And, but they're so normal and so commonplace and, they're so the right thing. My brother's incredibly successful. My sister's an amazing, successful woman. You know, so they did it all right, but I don't know how we lived. You know, we had this bridge in bet- on Via Road in between um, our home road on Ensenada and the creek across the street, and there's a bridge. That was 20, 30 feet over the, over the, man, we would jump off that bridge into that creek. It was a creek, not a river, you know, not a body of water, a creek. And then we were like, We'd go to the fire department and we'd steal hoses and we'd tie hoses as swings and we'd jump off like bungee jumps with these hoses. Hoses don't stretch with any elasticity like a bungee. I don't know why you keep laughing. Stop laughing. Sorry. Yeah, that was I, like I know why I'm laughing is I had the same childhood as, as you did and we had the same bright idea So uh, and we're about the same age, uh, you know no car seats, walking around in the back seat, riding in the back of the truck type of a childhood, which sounds like you probably had as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would not change a thing, but, uh, you know, my son, he looks like uh, the Michelin Michelin man when he gets on that motorcycle because he's got padding and protection every inch of his body. It's amazing how much, um, you know, and you and I are, I'm a little bit older than you, pretty close to the same age. And, when I was a kid, like having a gun in your truck to go deer hunting when you got out of school wasn't um, crisis level CNN shit. It was just you'd bring in your gun to the principal and he'd give it back to you and you'd go hunting after football practice. That that does not yeah. um, happen nowadays. And, you know, my my one of my first gifts as a kid was a BB gun. Uh, and I'd run out and shoot a bunch of shit I shouldn't shoot, shouldn't be, birds and whatever, squirrels and other things. And, you know, no, never wore a helmet as a kid. Not saying all these things are good, but... I would say my work ethic and and it and obviously yours is a bit different than the majority of the culture nowadays. Now that's my own opinion. What, what is yours? It it is absolutely different. And, um, you know, I have, I'm sure as you do, we have a lot of teammates and colleagues that are from the millennial Gen Z and, um, you know, some of them are, are hustler, hardworking, Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Gems, you know, and, but they, they feel like the diamond in the rough. You know, when I was going through special forces selection, and I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, it's not bravado, you would have had to take 20 dudes, sneak into my room in the middle of the night, and murder me in my bed for me to not succeed at that. 
And, um, and if you're going to tell me to do something, I'm going to go do that thing. Otherwise, you're going to have to take your 20 friends and come to my bed in the middle of the night while I'm sleeping and murder me because otherwise I'm going to do it. Now, when I ask somebody to do something, you know, I have to, I have to first clarify, I have to explain the why and to kind of give the reason why it's best for them to do it. Um, so I, I think from a leadership and organizational management perspective, it's, it's poised some, posed some good questions to me as a, as a person. Can I develop and be able to communicate the way that these kids need to be communicated with? Um, all the while, I'm like, man, just get, get the fuck up and go just do what I said. Can you do that? No? Okay. All right. That's what I thought in my head. And I was like, all right, I'll just take it back a notch. All right. So the reason I need you to do this is because this is going to do this. And the byproduct of that is going to be this. And then it makes your job easier. Huh? What do you think? I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Actually, as you're talking about this, I'm having flashbacks myself. So, um, I, you know, and I wasn't at the, obviously, you know, with the level you were in the military, but I was in the military for a while and I got out. And the first thing that I, one of the many things, but the first thing I struggled with is why is it when someone gives us an order, uh, we are questioning that order. Why aren't we just doing it? And this is in a regular, I went and worked uh, on high rises when I, when I got out. I mean, a few questions to make sure you don't screw up or understandable, but I was not used to the, I wasn't used to somebody having the ability that was an underling to actually argue bitch and, and ask questions coming from, you know, the military where, you know, you, you get, you got to do millions of push-ups or get shit kicked out of you if you, you argue and bitch and moan. I have definitely had to wrap my head around that one a little bit more as time has gone on. And I've been out for quite a while now, and it sounds like you're kind of dealing with some of the same issues from time to time, uh, I think. <laughs> from yeah, but even in the military now, I know that my grand, my grandfather, who is a World War II veteran and, you know, and great, greatest generation survivor of the Depression, you know, I, I know that he looked at his son who then went on to fight in Vietnam, um, and I think he was faced with the same questions, you know, culturally as we're going through all the good things and bad things that came with the 60s and 70s, as he's looking at his kids going through that, and his son's enlisting and, and being drafted into Vietnam, and, you know, the, the questions that were being asked by soldiers about the, the righteousness and the justness of the Vietnam War, um, you know, my grandpa never had those questions. You know, he's like, no, we're, we're fighting fascism and imperialism. I'm going to storm beaches, I'm going to climb cliffs, because that's what we do. And then his kids are standing there, you know, in, in the jungle of Vietnam, asking, are we doing the right thing? And maybe that question never went into my, my grandpa's mind. And now my dad and, and my uncles, their generation looking at me and my generation as we're talking, were there weapons of mass destruction? Is this, a, is this a holy war? Is this a war for oil? Like, they're saying, no, we never asked those questions. We went and did what we had to do in Vietnam. And now here I am asking this next generation, um, why are you asking me the why behind what I'm telling you to do as soldiers when... I, I think every every generation we just have to communicate differently, and it's it's just a leadership challenge, and it's me as an old hairy-handed idiot figuring out what is the best way to lead these men and women, uh, both in the military and you know through business to make sure that you know our end state is met. So uh, as you bring up some of those you know different points, um, I, I guess I have some other you know questions for you. So when you went through. Uh, selections, you know, pretty much everything in the army, uh, you have a task and a condition and a standard. So you have the job you're supposed to do, the conditions you do it in and a standard to do it. 
uh, when you go through selections, you have a task and a condition, but you don't have a standard because they want you to basically put all the effort in you possibly can without knowing, you know, the, the standard. Would you say that when, when you went through and, and as you got out in, 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 in pursuing everything else in life, uh, I always looked at that um, as something that was beneficial for other things that I, that I have done, meaning um, having that mentality. And I, w- I was not on an ODA team. I was an SF. But having that mentality and a lot of friends like that, we don't need to, uh, you know, you get off at 3 o'clock and I have to, you know, to not get in trouble, I have to ship out 20 backpacks. Well, that's kind of like the, the minimum of not getting your ass kicked. I always looked at things, let's just ship as many as we can by 3 o'clock. Would you say that that benefited you with that mentality in a lot of things and, and you try to, you know, push that on to others? Or is that something that you beat your head against the wall trying to push on to others? Yeah, I don't think you can push that on to others. You, you can't force it, you know. It has to be a I choice. Would, it has to be a will. I would agree with that. <laughs> you know, but what you can do is you can show them the reason why. And when they see the reason why, when you're like, hey, look at what happens when – so if you show up here and let's say instead I'm going to ship 20 backpacks in this ship, you ship as many backpacks as you can. And in the process of you shipping as many backpacks as you can, you recognized and identified a bunch of choke points in the process that were making even the days that you're trying to ship 20, you're, you're not only less effective, but you had to work harder to get that 20. And now that you try to do everything, you can go and hit 30 working half the effort that you did now trying to ship all of the ones that you could possibly ship because you fixed the process. So you had to show them, you had to incentivize them and give them this realization, this epiphany that like, man, things are better. Everything that you want, I said this all the time, everything that you want is on the far side of hard work. And fame and fortune and, you know, security for your family and food on the table, you know, like a healthy marriage, all of those things are a byproduct of hard work. If you go in there, like you're saying, with that mentality of, I'm going to work as hard as I can to do this thing, into everything that you do, the byproduct is always just going to be this this rewarding, not just feeling, but the actual in and doing that thing as hard as you can. Uh, to kind of touch on that, where um, most people, well, everyone that I know that is extremely successful, especially ones that weren't raised with very much, but, but mostly all, I mean, obviously hard work is the key ingredient, uh, sacrifice, uh, whether it's sacrificing time or, um, you know, physical ability, meaning sacrificing going to the bar and you're instead you're going to the gym or whatever the case may be. When you look back, like everything that, that I have, have gotten was straight up from hard work. I wasn't, I didn't have any money or anything as I, as I grew up. Um, and when I say hard work, not just um, hard work, working harder than others and also working smarter than others, troubleshooting, adding insight to a meeting that other, uh, a view that somebody else might not have or figuring it out, uh, a problem, or like you said, a choke point, a problem at hand and figuring out a realistic fix to that specific problem and how to execute or, or move forward. All of those things, whether it's construction or you work in an IT department or in your case, you're on a, you know, SF or whatever you're doing, being... Um, not just uh, a hard worker, but better or more beneficial in the job market, whatever that job is, is the, is the key to success. And it may not happen quickly. It may happen quickly. But, but overall, if you're putting more effort in than the next guy, unless you just piss off everyone, you're a total dickhead, you are going to excel and succeed faster than others 
by just coming at things with a hardworking approach, with an open mind, and, and also a, a, a being able to troubleshoot different issues. That seems to be something that almost people are born with. Uh, sometimes it can be trained and perfected, but it, it seems like that's something a lot of people just pop out with and, 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 and have it. Do you agree with that or, or disagree, especially with everything you've done? Yeah, I started off in a position that a lot of people don't get to start off in, in the sense that I had an incredibly intelligent mom and dad that were both educated, um, hardworking family, blue-collar. You know, my dad was a police officer. It's not like we had money, and we're living off a single income from a police officer. Like, that's not, not that money. And, uh, but I had an example of how hard work garners success. And now hiring people and, and always looking for more people to add on my, on the staff. When I look at a resume and I see things like an Eagle Scout, you know, like, while, okay, the skills and the badges that he got there, maybe that isn't relevant. What it shows me is, is this initiative and this, this single focus, this sole modality of achieving a thing and the hard work I know that goes into that. I mean, I'll, I'll hire that kid in a heartbeat. I always look for, the personality characteristics um, that are sometimes 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 they're born with it, and man, those are diamonds. Yeah, they're they're, they're just gems. You know, I want I want every single one of them. And uh, nature nurture, however they get it. You know, I think sometimes a combination of both. Uh, yeah, some people have it, and some people don't. Well, and when you talk about um, like some people have it, you know, a lot of some people don't. Um, is, is weird as this sounds, I met a lady at the gym once and, uh, just working out and whatever. She started to shoot shit and she, uh, said she needed a job and I was like, Oh, where are you from? And she was, she was from Nigeria. And I was like, Oh, I said, you, how long, you know, she's like, well, I've been there my whole life. I just moved to the U S and automatically knowing what I know about where she was from and what she went through, I was like, I am going to take a bet that this chick will work her ass off because she is just happy to be out of Nigeria in the United States with obviously, you know, a, a different lifestyle and um, different things available to her as, as well as the potential to uh, excel farther than she could. And that if you have a Nintendo belly and, and you have been raised with a computer in your hand and, and haven't left the couch very much compared to somebody that has to walk three miles to get water, they're going to appreciate things more. And so I, I kind of look at things like that, like how are you raised? You know, were you right? You know, if you were yeah. a farmer in Kansas, yeah, I bet you got the shit worked out of you since birth, probably, right? If yeah. you were raised on a farm. All right, you were raised in the middle of Denver, Colorado. Uh, what, you know, what's your background? Okay, you know, I, I played on the computer a lot. What They both offer different things to a, a job market, but when it comes to hard work, I'm, I'm picking the dude that was raised on a farm in Kansas that's been Brandon Cow since he was three because his ass has been worked to death, and he knows what hard work is about. Do you, do you have those same views? Yeah, but I don't think anybody ever too late. It's never too late to learn how to do hard work. It's never too late to learn how to be disciplined. It's never too late to be taught what it feels like to have calloused hands and a sore back. You know, I got, yes, that lady in the, at the gym that was from Nigeria – that is so grateful and blessed to be here and she's going to work her butt off to, to do whatever she can to provide for her family or to, to improve her situation. There's that 280 pound girl that's over there on the treadmill wearing, wearing that gray sweatshirt and she's working her butt off, but she's been lazy for the past 20 years. But then 
something finally a little bit too deep, and she know she knew that she needed to change something, and uh, and then she's taken one incremental change at a time, you know. And three months from from now, she may she might not even physically be recognizable, and that same work ethic can be applied entrepreneurially, um, you know, educationally, and obviously through fitness. It's never too late. Yeah. I do think there has to be like a little, it definitely has to be a desire for the person to want to make those changes. Like you can't instill that hard work or the desire, but if the person, you know, wants to make those changes, wants to improve their life and, or maybe advance in the company, they, they're willing to do that extra work, you know, put in that, that extra time. But if, if there's no desire They'll just look to cut corners. Yeah. To add on to what you, you both have said, and just because of the demographic, I don't know how familiar you are with our podcast, the demographic, the people that listen to our podcast, we have everything from, we have a lot of military guys, a lot of tier one group guys listen all the way down to, you know, a pipe fitter and electrician. Uh, some of the guys that listen that, that will chime in, which is kind of what I'm catering to on this, whether you're a leader or trying to be a better leader or trying to just get your shit together and get motivated, some people obviously are more naturally motivated or easier motivated easier than others. One of the things like when you post something or, or a Cameron Haynes or a Jocko or someone posts something, they're, they're posting certain things to get people motivated, to get them to, all right, today I'm not going to eat a cheeseburger. I'm going to eat a salad or I'm going to get off my fat ass or I'm going to run or I'm going to join a gym. Uh, for people that are kind of at that crisis moment in their life where they're realizing maybe maybe they need to drop 40 pounds or 50 or they haven't been that good of a father or whatever. It seems like it's a good place for people to go to your page or a Jocko or a Cam or whatever to maybe get some motivation or get some something to just help them achieve or strive to, to be to be better. What would your advice be for someone that is having kind of a rough time or just needs kind of a bump to get their shit together and get going? Guys like you seem to have these epic motivational speeches or say these little coin phrases and shit that get people going. For people, I mean, how often are you getting bugged for people give, you know, wanting some, some motivation or some advice? Is that something you deal with a lot? Yeah, I, I get a ton of that, you know, and, uh, you know, I wish I could be nicer about it, but I, I tell them the truth that like the inspiration and motivation that they're looking for can't be found outside of themselves. Fuck, you know, I'm glad you said I, that. I, <laughs> it, it doesn't exist. There, that pre-workout buzz is going to go away. That momentary elation of motivation from some infomercial or some Jocko Willink post or some Cameron Haynes thing. You know, like what, what you see across the board with all of those guys from David Goggins to, you know, Jocko, and Cameron is, is you see discipline, you see regiment, you see an approach, a dauntless, a fearless, aggressive approach to discipline, whether it's waking up at 4.30 or getting that, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep hammering pump that Cameron gets or making sure that he, he plugs every single lot that he finally draws for every single elk season that he goes and hits. Um, it's a disciplined, regimented approach, and it's no different with me. I don't have inspiration to give somebody. What I tell them is it has, you have to find that yourself, and then you have to apply that. And there's only one thing that's going to do that, and that's discipline. Uh, so to, to kind of add to that, what you gave about the answer that I was hoping you would give is I don't get off on the motivational quotes. If that helps you, great. But what motivates me is I don't want to be a fat fucker. 
well, that that's motivating, right? I, that's just me not wanting to be fat. Or I don't want to be chasing you down on the side of a mountain winded thinking, Jesus Christ, Tim is kicking my ass. I want to go into the mountain not ever worrying about someone crushing me or whatever, right? You, you get the point. And when people ask me about it, I'm like, man, you got to find it inside yourself. Like it's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound if you're using people's Instagram page to motivate yourself each day because eventually that's going to have to just come directly from you or it's just not going to work. It's a, it's a short-term fix. You might go to the gym for a day or two, but you really have to to want it really bad internally or you want to drop the weight or whatever the case may be. And I've always told people that. Like, look, I was in the Army. When I got out, I got fat. And, and when I got really fat, there was just this one day where I'm like, this is enough, and I got fit again. It wouldn't have mattered if Jesus Christ or Joseph Smith or whoever, Trump, came down and said, you're fat. It wouldn't have mattered. I had to make that decision, that conscious decision myself, put the effort in. And I, I was glad to hear yep. you say that because I don't give a shit what you, Cameron, or Jocko say. If, if it's not inside me, it might make me feel warm and fuzzy for a couple minutes. But if I'm going to go back to jam and cheeseburgers down my throat, it didn't really do any fucking good. I, I needed something from, from inside me. Now, something you do may push somebody over the edge, which I think is extremely important, or something Jocko or Cam or or Rogan, or whoever does, that may get that to push them over the edge or maybe start thinking about it. I think that helps. You know, I think that can get people to really think about and look inside themselves, but it's not going to make them do it. They're going to have to want to do it on their own. Like, I can't stop chewing Copenhagen. I probably ever won't. It's going to have to be me. It's not going to be a doctor telling me they may cut my bottom jaw off. I'm going to have to want to quit or I'm just not going to in, in, in fitness or anything else, I, I feel it's the same way. And it sounds like you somewhat agree with that. Yeah, I do. So right now you said you're, you're 40, you're 41. Uh, you've been in the military for 16 years from, from what I've been told by um, friends of mine in the teams, you were, uh, you, you got out and went into, well, 19th group or, or um, I guess that would be like a, a weekend warrior special forces somewhat, and then went back in full time. Is that, am I hearing the correct stories? Is that true? Yeah, it, it's been off and on um, from active duty to national guard, um, trying to, you know, I, I, I still have a, I'll say a big itch to scratch in the, in the service department. But, uh, you know, I, I, I fought for two world titles and I couldn't have done that while I was on, while I was on active duty status. The, the army actually said I couldn't. So I had to figure out a way that I could go and do this. I'm now in the Texas National Guard with the Special Forces Unit. Just got promoted to Master Sergeant, and I'm kind of competing to take a new ODA. So, yes, long answer to your question. Has that hurt your career? Has that been kind of a pain in the ass for you? I mean, or I guess would you change anything? Because having to do both um, seems like an epic pain in the ass. So it, would you do anything different if you could rewind? Uh, with some of the choices you've made, or are you pretty happy with the decisions? Yeah, if I had all the knowledge of what I have now, I would go back and absolutely change things. I have things that, you know, like I'm humiliated by decisions I made and, you know, how I acted, how, how I even talked to my superiors sometimes. Uh, a specific example, you know, there's a night that we were going to, uh, we, were part, we, we had a helicopter assault force, and we lost one of our 160th helicopters had gotten shot up. And um, I knew that we were going to have to bump some people from our load plan. And I was the, the most junior guy on the team, so they naturally bumped me. And I threw, 
you know, the same hissy fit that my five-year-old does when I tell him he can't do another lap on the motorcycle. Then it's time to come inside for dinner. And, um, you know, just a child, a childish, I, I look like a petulant, immature, prepubescent child in combat as a Green Beret talking to a Master Sergeant in Special Forces. And, um, you know, like I, I still have that shame of the things that I, that I didn't said. Yeah, I wish I could go back and, and change things like that, but no, I don't think there's shots I would have taken and, and punches I would have slipped and decisions I would have made, but no, I don't think I'd change anything. Big big picture stuff, nothing nothing you would change, it sounds nope. like. I guess looking at like the, the you know, the the big picture thing, what are your, your kind of future plans now? I honestly, um, you know, I see things you post off and on and obviously know who you are and you're you're spoken of very highly amongst friends of mine and the teams. Uh, but I don't know that much about you in the sense of, you know, big, big picture stuff. What are you, what, what's future plans? Like, is there anything that you're, you know, working on? Has the way the world has changed recently made you throw a big WTF yeah. up and, and alter maybe what you originally thought you were going to do? Um, what's kind of going on with that? Yeah. So on, on like the, my security consulting defensive tactics training side, you know, our, our mission is to preserve and protect human life. And, um, you know, as, as a Green Bray unconventional warfare force multiplier, our job is to go overseas and train people how to do this job of protecting, preserving human life and, and like the preservation of freedom. And uh, I was like, why can't I do that here? So with, in, in light of everything that has happened in the past two years with civil unrest and riots and the pandemic, I have, I've stepped away from doing television and stepped away from consulting on movies. And I've really poured myself into this protect and preserve, preserve human life. That's the mission statement of my company. And that goes across, you know, if you did this Venn diagram of all of the different things that I work in, the thing that overlaps in all of them is meeting that goal, meeting that mission. So this year in 2021, we're launching a two different projects. One, is a young men's mentor program online called Apogee Strong. And that's uh, for all young men ages, I don't know, from 11 to 30. And it's, um, it's taught by successful business leaders, by Green Berets, you know, other special missions units, leaders from different squadron. And, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's young men now that don't know how to change the oil on, in their truck or change the tire on their mom's car. And, um, and, and that's okay because they've never been taught that, but somebody needs to teach them that. So that, that's one big initiative is Apogee Strong. The other one is Apogee Cedar Park, which is our in-person, live, private, accredited school. And I think education has been failing both academic education and, and universities and even all the way down to grade school level. We have done the worst disservice to our youth in not preparing them for how to what success looks like and how to meet all the requirements to see success. So we are launching a private school this year. Um, got the building. Um, we're remodeling it and, and prepping it and moving our headquarters into it. And um, both of those things are happening this year. And uh, I just need more time in a day. <laughs> I feel your pain. One of the things you just brought up or a few of the things you brought up, I've brought up on podcasts for the last four or five years and I've had a lot of good comments from people and I've also been blasted a little bit and 
that was kind of like a, a list of what it takes to be a man. Um, and no, you know, and I'm not, I'm not discounting women. I just, that's just how I put it. And, you know, starting a fire, changing your oil, land navigation, uh, just general self-sustainment, um, things like that, that are seem to be lost nowadays. Like a lot of people hit the easy button. I don't have any problems with a GPS. No, no, no. I mean, they're great to have, but I also think that you should learn land navigation and, uh, you know, whether it be UTM or whatever, like you need to learn to operate a compass and a GPS and understand how to read a map. Uh, those things are important. Again, how to build a fire, simple as that sounds, how to do normal data. I'm not saying you should be able to change your engine in your car, but changing a tire and uh, changing your oil are certain and are simple things that I think every individual should should know um, along, amongst many other things. We have talked about here um, as as Kafaru has grown, starting a course from you know A to Z. You know, shooting a bow, um, not something you need to do that to be a man, but land navigation, self sustainment, uh, building fires, all all of the different things, long range shooting, how to mount a scope on a rifle, how to bore sight, like just things that seem to be lost uh, in, in 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 this day and age by a lot of people. It sounds like you are in an agreement with that, and you're doing. The, the same thing in your business. What is it called? So everybody can come in. Where they, where can they find you? We kind of skipped that in the beginning. Yeah, Sheepdog Response is our training company. You know, we have a new president, and you know that that president, you know, came to realization through kind of grassroots efforts by community organizers. And um, while there's a lot of great things that I I, I hope they achieve, um, I, I think it really painted a picture for men like yourself and, and, and myself that we're too, we've been too busy working and we're forgetting, we've forgotten about what it looks like from a grassroots organization. You know, like this country was founded off a militia. You know, it wasn't this haphazard group of people. These were hardened individuals that could carve their existence out of the wilderness and collectively together stronger than the largest superpower on the planet. And now I look at us and I see this weak, soft, um, cowering people. Wonder we're so easily manipulated. And uh, so Sheepdog Response, it is an effort to put a backbone and put skills and put hardness back into American people so that the we the people part has strength again. But the only way that, the only way that we the people can have strength is if the people have strength that they're not diabetic, that they're not obese, that they're not looking for the next sale at Walmart or the next sale on the next PlayStation system, that they are capable and prepared for whatever comes. And there's no way that we can know what the next thing is, whether it's another pandemic or, you know, an ism from fascism to communism to socialism, whatever the next ism is that is going to try to hurt we the people we have to be we the people have to be strong and that's one of the initiatives Sheepdog response is getting the people strong again let's dive into that a little bit deeper because um i see you and i are going to get along great one of the issues i have not now because i live way out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains but when i lived more close uh, to town and uh was shooting my bow out of the garage and uh you know one specific neighbor came over cause they saw me shooting their bow and then they came over to talk to me and I was sharpening up an ax, you know, that was on, um, you know, on my vice, uh, with a file and, uh, things that I would consider pretty fucking normal. All right. So I'm sharpening my ax because I have firewood to split and I was 
just getting general things ready. And inside that garage, you know, I had a rifle hanging up and I have a pistol sitting there. And my my neighbor, literally you would have thought just walked into, I don't know, the walking dead, right? Scared shitless like I'm I'm a, a mass murderer. And I'm like, hey, what what's up? You know, like what's going on? And it was, we don't appreciate you shooting your bow. And I, I said, well, I really don't care too much if it's safe. And I understand if you're worried about your safety, but here's where I'm shooting. It's totally safe and it's totally legal. Um, and, and I said, if you'd like to call the police, go ahead. I'll give you their number. My, my buddy's the guy that'll show up. He's a cop. And that was a big eye opener for me, even at 41 years old of, oh my God, the world has like, how big of is a deal to sharpen an ax? Well, to them watching me do it, you would have thought I was going to cut someone's fucking head off when I was just sharpening my my axe and getting my maul ready to split firewood. Things like that, which are a little bit different what you're talking about, but the same principle, you know, in my garage, I have some lanterns and I, some of those lanterns run off of white gas and some run off of propane. You know, I have propane stacked up, not that I'm waiting for the world to end, but obviously the power goes out, things like that. Things that most people don't think about. It sounds like those are some of the kind of things, not necessarily sharpening an axe, but literally being prepared for anything, whether it be a blackout because of a windstorm or civil unrest and and another civil war, being prepared and not being soft is what you're really, you know, pushing. Is that, you know, kind of what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, it it absolutely is. I have a beautiful wife and four beautiful kids and their safety and their security and their provision is responsibility. And my belief, like, I know this because we have run out of food. You know, we, we have, I think America's, like, what people look at you and they're like, man, is he a prepper? You know, and then they had no toilet paper and they lost their mind. And, uh, you know, there's run on groceries and there's not a single canned food on the shelf. And, and you and I are looking at each other like, I'm not worried for not one second. Because I know I can provide for my family. In, Fuck, in I'm glad you said that. Because I was the only weird one not going to buy all the toilet paper in my neighborhood. I'm like, all right, well, we're no big deal. They're toilet paper. People wipe their ass with their hand in most other countries. I can wipe my ass with a towel yeah. and wash it for fuck's sake. It's not that big of a deal. Where the prepping thing, like, you know, and some of the things that were missing on the shelf, I'm like, why the fuck would you buy that? You know, you don't. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I. <laughs> I I do think the pandemic was good for that purpose right there, because even as hunters, like when when I would go to the grocery store, the meat was picked clean. Like you could not find a piece of meat in the whole store. But me, like I've got a freezer full of deer, elk, like everything that I could need. And that made a lot of people realize that, you know, hunting has a purpose and you can't always go to the grocery store. So self-sustaining. That probably was good. Yeah, the uh, I'm 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 even gonna dovetail and, and put an explanation mark on that. You know, as, as I was listening to new preppers, and you know, there's eight million new gun owners, and first time they've ever bought a gun. Eight million new people that went out and bought a gun. Amazing. I, you know, I'm, I'm open arms. Welcome to the side of freedom. And now you need to learn and become responsible about what that being a responsible gun owner, we now have a bunch of people that think that they're preppers and they're buying generators to keep their Wi-Fi on. And it's like, you know, if I ask both of you what your generators are on, you're like, well, it's to my deep freezer. Of course it is. You know, like, and to your, to your well that pumps the water into your tanks, um, like just like mine is. I, I don't need air conditioner. I also don't need Wi-Fi. 
But the, the priorities, the realization of what does it look like to sustain my family, I have loved the past 10 months because people have been forced to spend time with their family. People have been forced to actually work on their home. People have been forced to question, is there going to be food on the shelves at the market? And if there's not, what am I going to do? And things that we have been preaching for, for decades about how rewarding this life is and how fulfilling it is to know that no matter what happens, my family's going to be okay is, is so, it's not, it's not, we're not living out of fear. We're living in a, in a, in a, in a life of fulfillment, a satisfied, satiated fulfillment of my kids are happy. They're well fed. They're well clothed. And there's nothing that can change that because I have accepted the individual responsibility of ensuring that. I mean, those are all good, good points. And I mean, these are really good talking points. And, and uh, I don't want to spend too, too much time uh, or take too much of your time. But one, one of the things is you're, as we're discussing this, and I've had a few eye-opening conversations with uh, people that have been over at the house, um, when you talk about prepping and, and what you should have if you're going to, to prep for the you know, the world to end or, or some common sense things like having a headlamp in your vehicle at all the times or, or, or a, sur- a survival blanket in your, your vehicle, just simple shit that most people, because they've never, well, you've traveled more of the world than I have by far, but in other countries, people will kill daily for what we throw away daily, easily by far. Yeah. You know, I, I remember being overseas once and watching these kids go three miles because the well went dry, so they had to go three miles one way to get water. The kid, the local, the, the the kids in the village to get water for for the village. And I'm thinking, fuck, I can't get my daughter to do the dishes, and I have a good kid. These kids yeah. are literally going three miles one way with with buckets to get water to bring back to the village. Things that when you see things like that, um, there isn't a whole lot that alarms me here in the U.S. and I'm not like a big gun guy. I don't have a, a pile of different guns, but I, you know, I have a few. So when I have somebody that wa- we, we were, um, an F we had a FFL here at Kafaro at one time. And so we had a few people come into the office during the pandemic. I want a gun. What kind of a gun? I don't know. Or they bring in a gun and be like, Hey, I need ammo. They have no idea what kind of ammo they, they got. They got a gun somewhere. And so being able to teach these people, what you're talking about, weapon safety, obviously, things like that are, are, I think are pretty vitally important because there's nothing worse than a jackass with a gun in his hand that doesn't know what they're doing or, or a female, either one. But there's so many different things that, you know, we're, we're touching on that far and above a gun go into self-sustainment, survival, and, and, and living life in a good place, not surviving, but thriving. Um, and most people don't even yeah. know how to survive, let alone thrive. And it sounds yeah. like you guys do a great job at teaching those things. We're trying, you know, like Dana, you've been real quiet on this call. Um, <laughs> like I, I'd, I'd love to hear like one of the coolest things that's happened since all of this is, you know, we would have in a class of 40, we'd, we'll do three classes in a weekend, three 40 students back to back. So 120 people. And, you know, it would average maybe 10% more women. And um, since the civil unrest and since this pandemic, um, we have, you know, a third to half of our classes are women. And uh, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I couldn't be happier to see women taking the initiative of being like, you know, my husband's going to be at work. These kids at home, they're, they're my responsibility to be able to not, not just provide for, but also to be able to protect. Whatever that thing is, is inside of you where you're like, 
so proud of something that's not even yours. But every time I see these women in this class, I'm like, God, I just want to hug you guys. Like, I love, like, have you seen a change where, like, there's more women that are, you know, participating in outdoor recreation, uh, more women hunters, uh, more women firearm, firearm owners. Are any of your friends yeah. doing this, or is this a trend I'm just seeing on my end? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely try to stay in a group of, you know, like-minded women. And I, I've been very lucky uh, to find that here. And we go out, we'll go, we actually took um, like a pistol class a few months ago just to get more familiar with, with our firearms and, and learn, you know, different protection uh, techniques and, and stuff like that. And, and we all shoot bows, we all hunt, we're all, we're all kind of in that world. And I have seen it grow quite a bit just the last few years since I've kind of dove into it myself. Yeah, I love it. Kind of on that that note, like with the um, self-defense and the weapons training and, and things like that, wh- what would you say uh, for people listening in that are wanting to, you know, whether you, whatever title you want to put on it, prepping, or what are some of the, the key things you think they should focus on, uh, one, in knowledge, and two, in, in gear? Meaning, what what should you throw in your house to uh, to get ready if something goes downhill? And then, uh, you know, obviously the probably first and foremost knowledge and, and wisdom. What what do you need to fill your brain up with? What do you need to learn? What do you need to train uh, as well? Yeah, the uh, great question. There's a lot of there's no gear that's going to make you good at self defense. You know, you 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 walk into any of my staff, any of the cadre from Sheep Dog Response, whether they have like, are you less deadly with a with a with an axe as you are, you know, with a bat. No, you know, you're, you're, you're equally as dangerous because you, you have the skill and the mindset, most importantly, to be able to do whatever's necessary. Um, and there, there's only one way to get that mindset, and that's by doing hard stuff. It's one of the reasons I love hunting and, you know, hunting with bow and with rifle is because it takes, you have to master the tradecraft of difficult things. So, like, go find hard stuff and do hard stuff. When it comes to, like, gear... I think for home, the pistol's the best home defense. Shotgun's fine. Rifle's fine. You know, but pistol, I, I, I'm able to, like, pick up my kids with one hand and, and be able to still use a pistol for anything. Um, I, it's close and concealable. I can maneuver through my house. You know, I can obviously put it in my pocket and use both my hands. So a, a pistol's a must. I see a lot of people stockpiling water right now, which is weird, depending on the, you know, like, knowing how to purify water is important, uh, wh- whether you're using iodine or how to, co- how to, co- to purify it with chlorine um, or distill it and make as sanitizing has become really important. Does anybody know how to make hand sanitizer or how to use, um, like, bleach or vinegar as cleaning solutions to be able to sanitize things? Like, really commonplace stuff that, you know, my grandma would it blow her mind that this current generation doesn't know. I, I think they're staples of survival. So what, what are some of like the basics that you, uh, you start off with at, like, at the sheepdog response? So we have these four A's, uh, awareness assessment, action, where we spend most of our time in practice, action, and then analysis. The awareness is situational awareness, where it's like first being aware of your own assets and liabilities. Like what do I bring to the fight? Mm-hmm. And then once you understand the lens that you view this world through, then you can use that for profiling, situational awareness, like as you're pulling into the 
and you're pulling into Walmart at 11 p.m. at night, do I want to park near the door or do I want to park out in that dark area underneath the light that got busted next to the tree? You know, like, I probably don't want to park there because I don't want to get raped and murdered and mugged. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll park closer to the door. You know, like, those are things that are taught. And in the military, we go through these courses, situational awareness, uh, special forces, situational awareness, advanced techniques, I don't know, all these dumb acronyms. But there's actually a process that they teach us how to think using MET-TC and Akoka and GRIN, Kamisi, and we use those things and we teach people how to think and how to look and how to view. And then once they can kind of see the world clearly, then we teach them how to assess what a threat might look like. So once you're kind of aware of all the stuff and then you start seeing something that could be a problem, that's assessment, threat assessment specifically. And then finally is action. And this is where we spend 90% of the course is on fighting, the fundamentals of fighting and the fundamentals of shooting. So I want everybody to understand stance grip, cyclical breath control, trigger squeeze, recoil management, part of follow through, and uh, post firing procedures. And um, we spend, you know, when you look at the the most elite special operations unit, they're not doing fancy stuff. They're doing the basics really, really, really well. So in in our courses, I, I'm not going to show somebody like how to curb a bullet. You know, like how to shoot an urban prone under a car. Yeah, that's all awesome stuff. And you come to our advanced courses, they'll absolutely show that. But our basic courses are the basics of fighting, the basics of shooting. And that's it. Okay. Yeah, they look very intriguing, especially well, like, come to on, me. Come on. <laughs> you got open invitation. Uh, Deal. Uh, that'll be, yeah, well, that will be awesome to film. Um, <laughs> I, I think, though, everything that you're talking about and things Dana are, are, are bringing up, like um, when people, bug me about a, a bug out bag, which I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't have a, a technically a bug out bag. I do have a kick-ass bug out garage. Um, I have a bunch of shit in there that's ready yeah. to go at all times, mostly backpack hunting, which is what we do, you know, self-sustaining for 14 days, living off your back. You, you become pretty efficient at living with jack shit and, and being happy with it. Um, you know, water treatment, you know, I always have ways to get water. I have zip ties. I've got duct tape, electrical tape. I got ways to start a fire. I have headlamps. I have very things that would probably most people walk in my garage, but what the fuck is that? But they're, they're simple, but they are very, very important. And so, you know, ways to get food, um, you know, simple stuff to where a little bit different than what you're talking about with self-defense with a weapon, but along the same line, it's a total, a total package. Um, which you guys do, you know, teach just from looking over your, your courses, um, knowing how to use a weapon and, and, and defend yourself is extremely important. You know, also, obviously, there's a big difference between uh, surviving and thriving. When you go live on your off of your back for 14 days, you don't want to survive. You want to be half-ass happy when you're out there. And so you learn what you need to, you know, the power goes out. Crisis situation when the power goes out for 24 hours for most people my lifestyle doesn't really change. I don't really watch a lot of TV. I have a lantern. Uh, my gym is lit up relatively easy with the lantern. I can do push-ups. I've got shit to do. That is um, a lost, I don't say a lost art, but that is something that 70% of the United States sucks at that really needs to work on. And it, it sounds like you're in agreement with that. And, and people definitely need to look at your course if they're wanting to become better at not getting your ass kicked on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I, I love that. Don't survive, thrive. I want everybody to take that approach to everything. Like, I don't just want to go along. I want things to get better. You know, if, 
if we had absolute nuclear fallout right now, you know, and there's not a single power plant working and there's not, um, there's no more cell service, everything, everything electronics dead. An EMP like, hit, hypothetically. This, be, this is so much like awesome. My life just got so much awesome. I get to spend extra time with my teenagers, you know, because their phones don't work. Um, <laughs> we still get the same food on our table every single night. You know, we're still going to work out every single day. My, my son's still going to practice lacrosse. We're still going to play with his, you know, Honda CRF 50 motorcycle and, and see if we can get that thing fully off the ground and not just go over bump. Like, not, 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 nothing changes. Matter of fact, it gets better. I agree. I know I sleep better when that happens. Um, <laughs> Having done some, you know, one, two, three months, different expeditions, whatever you want to call it, uh, hunting related, not, not in the military, but uh, hunting related, where a generator is all you've got, you know, for power, which has to be used at a limited amount because of obviously it takes fuel to run it. If what happened that you're talking about, an EMP hit, something happens, there's people that are going to kill for shit that we used to throw away. You know, food that you just didn't want to eat that gets thrown away, the amount of waste that that is evident every day in the United States would become, I mean, the bartering system is going to become, money won't be worth shit. Uh, bartering will be first and foremost. And trying to wrap that around people's minds like a bartering system. And I brought this up before talking with people in, in seminars I've done, like they don't even understand what I'm talking about. I'm like, no one's going to give a shit if you hand them a hundred dollars. But if you have something of value, uh, of great value, a set of gloves, you know, in this case, for Christ's sake, a roll of toilet paper would be worth I don't know how much. Things like that is how the world would, would be ran or could be um, if something like that happened because no one's going to care about money anymore. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the ammo crisis right now, there, there's no value. You could say it's a bullet is worth a dollar, you know, 5.56 or 9 millimeter is worth a dollar a bullet right now. Um, that's if you can find them. There's actually, I don't think you can put a value onto what you can get for ammo right now. Um, all manu ammo manufacturers are producing as much as they possibly can, but the demand is more and it's not going to wane. We have, you know, 8 million new gun owners and people like me, if I see five boxes on the shelf, I'm buying five boxes. If there's 10 on the shelf, I'm buying 10 boxes. And uh, that's not going to change for, I think, at least the next four years. And I, I traded a box of ammo for an ounce of gold a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and to, to the, to barter, we know what gold is worth right now. And when you wrap your head around the value of, there are going to be commodities that are priceless. And everything and, and everybody's value about everything they think is important right now, from their Mercedes to their BMW to their Porsche, and then they look at your bow and they look in your garage and every single thing hanging on that wall becomes priceless. Let's talk about what's hanging on my wall for a minute to, to give people an example, just so I, I have multiple knives and multi-tools, sleeping bags, tents, headlamps, water purification systems from, from drops to pills to pumps, sleeping pads, everything that I would need to be fine, lanterns, uh, the mantles, get just normal shit to people like you and me. I did not overload my house with a toilet paper. I did... On the other hand, get a lot of MSR aqua tabs and things like that, just in case, right? And I use them for backpacking. But when people start talking about weapons, uh, is Aaron Snyder going to pay, come to Tim Kennedy's house? Am I going to be able to take your gun? Probably not. Tim's better trained, right? He, he knows what he's doing, right? But all these other, you know, sorry for people listening in to get mad at me, jack wagons, and I've brought this up to my wife, like, 
honey, we have enough guns. If anything goes downhill, I'm going to take everyone else's. No, I'm not going to take Tim Kennedy's gun. I'm not going to take Jocko Willink's. But I guarantee my my neighbor that came over and asked me and had no idea even which way the gun pointed, I can probably take his relatively quickly. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just using that as an example. You need to know, you need to, you need to have more than just a fucking weapon. You need to know how to use the weapon. You need to know how to protect yourself without the weapon. You need to be able to survive to even use the damn weapon. Because if you can't procure food or you can't get water, that weapon's not going to be any good because you're going to fucking die. And then I'm going to take it anyway. Those are all the things that you guys uh, teach in your school. And I, I hate to keep hounding or, or pounding on that, but most of people in North America specifically really need to go to your school because if you picked a thousand people in my neighborhood now, you know, from top of the mountain to the bottom, probably about 990, I'm going to be able to take your shit. You have cool shit. You just don't know how to use your cool shit and you don't know how to protect it. Would you agree with that or disagree? Or you think I'm a total dick? Yeah, no, no, I, I, I 100% agree. And um, I don't want everybody to come to my courses for the sole reason that it's important for the individual. It's also important for me for the collective of us as the people, because we are so soft right now. We have to, and it's going to take people, um, men and women, going door to door nearly and bringing them onto this rewarding, fulfilling life that we live. And like, you know, hard work, it pays off. Hunting feels good. Building that thing on your deck and looking at it and you did it with your own hands and figured out how to do it. And you did the engineering and you ordered the right amount of material and you stained it with the right, with the right color. And, it, and then your wife is happy. And then like your back was kind of sore and you went to, you thought you were tired, but then she walked in, in this little thing cause she was wa- watching you sweat and work out hot, driving the hammer all day. Then she comes in and you're like, I'm not tired anymore. And then you get the best night of sleep cause you had the best night of sex and, you, and everything just keeps getting better because you're just doing the work. So like, and in our course, we just hammer that all the time. Like, it's not just skills and it's not just techniques, but it's also a lifestyle. And it's a belief in an idea about being individually responsible. Uh, I'm going to touch on one other thing now that you said that. And this is something Joe Rogan posted a while ago that I got a ton of comments on. Uh, and I'm going to read it real quick. I want to see what your your feedback is on this. It just says, what is the number of veterans in this country? I mean, it's got to be more than a million. There are so many people in this country that really understand violence and they're not the ones calling out for violence. They're not the punch a Nazi type of people, the people that really understand violence, that have seen violence, that have committed violence for their country. Those are the motherfuckers that you break glass in case of war. You need them and people don't understand that. These people running around calling for violence, calling for revolution, you are going to open the door that you can never close. And when those soldiers come pouring out of the door to defend what they think was an attack on their freedoms and their country, you're going to be fucked. From what he said there, would you, obviously in the position that you're in specifically, do you agree with what he's saying? Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, what are your, your thoughts to that? Because it kind of goes along the lines of what you're talking about right right now as far as the, the larger belief most veterans, people that have done what, what you've done um, or people current in the military, most of us all have the same ideals, the same common goal, I guess you could say. Um, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll qualify, I'll quantify that statement. So there's almost 20 million veterans in the United States, 20, 20 million. And of that 20 million, 
if you look at guys like Evan Hafer or Jocko Willink or Matt Best, I'll use Matt Best. And I know he has these specific things and these skills, so he's a great example. Matt, Matt Best from Black Rifle Coffee, he's a good friend. He was a former, former Army Ranger and um, went on to be a, a security contractor for, you know, three-letter a- agencies. I wouldn't argue, I would say with a degree of confidence that if 200 Civil War calling Antifa members tried to kill Matt Best at night, they did not bring enough people. I'm, I'm not joking. No, he, I, w- I would agree with if that. He dropped down his, if he dropped down his PBS-15 and he pulled up his rifle with his laser, we, you, would, you would need of people to kill one Matt Best. And yes, he's a good shooter. Yes, he's in shape. Yes, he's trained. But so are thousands and tens of thousands of other people just like him that just want to be left alone. And those guys, when you break that, when, when you push past a, a point with them where it's black and white, where like the glass has been broken and Matt's like, all right, you, you kind of forced my hand here. That's not an off switch. Like, you're going to have to deal with that guy. And, uh, like, even Joe's paragraph there doesn't fully wrap your head around that 20 million number and a map best that can fight two, three, four hundred people at night. That's a number that, that you, your brain can't process. And that's more killing that you, that anybody can understand. And the only people that can understand that are people that have done killing like that. And guess what? That's the people that are hiding behind the glass that don't want to be broken out right now and are sitting there being like, come on, people, get it together because you don't want to see what I've done. To touch on that a little bit more, when you force um, someone's someone's hand and, and you talk about like in Antifa, which are basically just a bunch of dipshits with masks on, um, if you force someone's hand and, 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 and you know, I know Matt well enough, I know Evan a little, Evan a little better, it's the depth of the, the training, the depth of the wisdom and, and also the experience, meaning... Uh, and I'll just use you. Uh, you. You're proficient in just about every weapon. Uh, you're a proficient in self-sustainment, uh, meaning you you can survive through just about anything. You're extremely fit. You're extremely fit in hand-to-hand combat, or extremely first in hand-to-hand combat. Obviously, you fight in a cage. You compare that, and let's just say, take ten normal people off the street that that you know during the day work an IT job or at, at Walmart or whatever, and then they throw their mask on to go be assholes when they can. I, I would say your analogy with a gun is tr- certainly true with Matt Best, but also digging even deeper uh, again is is the the vast amount of you're covering all four points of the compass. It's not just a weapon. Take the weapon out of Matt's hand, he'll fuck up twenty guys at one time in a fight. You will you will you well yeah. you probably kick shit out of Matt more than twenty. So it, it's not just the weapon. And let's say just leave the weapons alone and there's no uh, physical altercation. Um, you'll be able to survive or matter whoever else, meaning food, water, all these other things. The other ones are just going to die off because they don't have that training or, or ability to, you know, thrive rather, what, rather than survive. It, it's a it's a big picture thing, and people ask me about this all the time, and it's like, look, I'm not nervous right now. Does it bother me the way the country's headed? Yes, but minus a bomb dropping, I am going to be okay as well as you and a lot of people, I don't think, think about that. They're starting to now, but they haven't been for a long, long time just because of the way America works, basically. I think a lot of people have been removed yeah. from the whole process. Like, 
they they don't realize what it takes to you know acquire their own food or protect their own family if shit hits the fan like they're just so removed from reality because life has been so easy for us and so comfortable for us here that they don't really understand what could be coming or like what could happen i think one of the reasons i prefer like backpack hunting so much and and as weird as it is um, after doing a 12 or 25 or 40 mile road march, even though your ass is kicked, there's a sense of self, I don't know if gratification is the word, you made it, you did it, you may be sore, but you, you, you made it through that. Where with backpack hunting and you're living off your, your back for 10, 12, 14 days um, and thriving and killing an animal at the same time and packing the fucker out and then you eat it. As weird as it is, that is training, um, you know, and I don't look at it that way necessarily. But being able to do that does put you at a level, much like military training or anything else, above and beyond many other people. And courses like yours, and there's several others out there, um, certainly will, I think, be a bit of a wake-up call for people. But also, like you said, the, the collective common goal, uh, get everybody kind of rowing in the same direction or the ones you want to be rowing in the right direction. Uh, is, is a big help. And you've brought that up multiple times. So, uh, man, we've hit an hour and almost 15 minutes. I don't want to take up too much of your, of your time and I'm, we could dive down this rabbit hole forever. Anything else you want to add to, uh, the discussion we've had? Man, I just, um, th- you know, thanks, thanks for talking, Dana. Thanks for, for chatting. The, uh, we, you know, every, everybody that's listening to podcasts like this, we have to go, we have to do the uncomfortable thing and we have to go bring, we have to bring people into the fold. We have to go out and revitalize a group of people that have been sitting by. We've been too busy, and I, I agree with you. I'm not. I'm not comfortable with the the trajectory of our country. But the only way that that's going to change is if we do something about it. And I'm not talking revolution or some crazy stuff. I'm talking like going and talking to your neighbor, going and starting a school, go and help and homeschool your children, go start hunting. If you hunt already, go find your neighbor that doesn't hunt and talk them into coming with you and hunting. And, you know, like, this, this, these ideas have to be spread. They have to be passed on. And it has to be a contagious, authentic, real grassroots ignition. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense for sure. Well, um, Tim, I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. And I, I've, I've watched what you do for quite a while. And, and definitely someone I send people you know, too, for, for, for info, uh, as well as your school. So, um, man, I, you're a rare and delicate breed and I, I appreciate uh, everything you're doing for, for the country and everything you've done already. So thank you very much. My absolute, my pleasure. You know, keep doing everything you guys are doing. Hopefully we'll get to hunt together someday. Yes. All right. Sounds good, man. We'll have a safe trip back to your, your homeland. And, uh, if you ever need anything from us, please give us a call anytime. All right. Sounds good. Take care.